Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 347 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I enjoyed recording with award-winning aerial photographer, Jason Todorov. Jason's been creating compelling and evocative aerial images from his small plane, which he pilots himself for many years. I wanted to dive deeper into his image making process and find out what motivates him to create his work. Just a quick heads up, we did have some audio issues at various times in the podcast and I apologize for that. As previously mentioned, I am working on creating a producer's best of page for the podcast. The idea is quite simple. Those who have supported the podcast financially are able to put their seal of approval on episodes showcasing to the public the most highly valued episodes of the show. For each $500 in support, you gain a producer credit, which you can showcase on LinkedIn if you so desire. Each credit can then be used to promote an episode as being one of the most valued by listeners. I can't wait to see which episodes rise to the top. In addition to Patreon, we also accept one-time donations on PayPal. Please visit the link in the show notes for more information. All right, let's get to this week's episode with Jason Todorov. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. You've been recommended a few times now and having looked through your photographs, um, I think there's going to be some fun conversation to be had. And taking, I mostly specialize in, uh, in aerials, although I also do some street photography and, and landscapes and people and whatnot, but it's mostly uh, aerials because it gives me the opportunity to... Uh, fly around, to explore, to learn about new places, and um, to get out of town, and uh, to come back inspired and recharged. So it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a healing, a healing journey, a healing hobby. And I think that probably applies to many other uh, photographers as well. You get out into nature, you connect with nature, you breathe the fresh air away from cities, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's something that I've been doing now for the last 10 years. I started taking photos about 10 years ago. That's when I bought my first DSLR and, um, I was able to combine that with flying and it's working out great. For sure. And, um, where, where are you originally from? Originally from Bulgaria and I moved to the U S about 30, a little over 30 years ago to study music. So I've been playing my violin since I was five. I started pra- pra- playing the violin when I was uh, five, and that's about 43 years ago. I'm 48 now. Um, so that's, that's how I, ident- I identify myself as a violinist, a performer, and a professor at the university. So that takes up a lot of my time, obviously. I've been teaching at San Francisco State University for the past 20 years now, and it's been a great journey. I love, uh, I love being in the classroom and also on stage so it's a nice balance and while i was studying music while i was uh, getting my uh, master's and doctorate about 20 years ago that was back in rochester new york upstate new york uh, i started thinking okay what if uh, if i don't get a job as a music professor what if, if if i can't get a job as a musician what can i do so i started thinking all right what's my plan b and uh, I thought, okay, I'm very passionate about flying and planes. So I decided to get my pilot's license. Eventually, I, I became a commercial pilot and also a flight instructor. 
And so then I moved to San Francisco with uh, plan A and plan B. Uh, so I, I, I was actually quite lucky uh, and very fortunate with that. So I've been flying planes for about 20 years. And then uh, about 10 years ago or so, I was flying with my uh, students, my uh, student pilots. Um, I noticed that I was taking pictures with my cell phone, you know, about eight years ago. D810 was a, a fantastic camera, 36 megapixels, very fast shutter speed or shutter light speed, mm -hmm. almost non-existent. And uh, I stayed with that camera for the last eight years and I've won a number of um, contests and, um, and I've done a lot of uh, commercial work and I've shot for, uh, for various magazines. So it's, it's, been, it's, it's been a great journey. Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, it was, it was funny when I was um, researching you and looking you up I went to your website, and when you go to your website, uh, it's funny because, you know, most photographers' websites, you go to their website, and it's like photographs, and your homepage is you with the violin, which I thought was so fascinating, um, and so it kind of leads me into my one of my first questions for you, which is, uh, you know, you're a photographer, you're a pilot, and you're a musician. Which one do you identify with first? Oh, the violin, absolutely. Number one, I've been doing it for the last 43 years. I have probably over 40,000 hours of, of, of playing the violin uh, on that. Uh, and number two would be the pilot. I'm a, I'm, I've been flying for the last 20 years. I have thousands of hours of flying. So photography is number three uh, in that order. But, but it, it, it's very meaningful when you're able to combine and recharge and inspire from one area to another area. So, for example, just flying by itself it's wonderful, but it feels a little empty. Well, I, when I have my camera with me now, the flights become very meaningful because you are able to record moments and you have that bird's eye view that's, that's uh, very unique. So now the flights become very meaningful. To add to that, when I fly, I often listen to music. You know, I, oftentimes I go into these uh, deserty uh, remote areas in uh, in the deserts of Arizona and Nevada and Utah and sometimes for hours there's just nothing I mean there's a lot but uh, there's no traffic there's no towns and you're on your own out there like a free bird and so I listen to a lot of music so mm. the flight becomes actually very engaging you're you're flying you're looking left and right you're always scouring for for something interesting for some patterns colors uh, awesome rock formations and in the meantime you're listening to Bach you're listening to Beethoven you're listening to Charlie Parker to Art Tatum I mean you know or or some Argentine uh, tango music Carlos Gardel or someone like that so you're listening and you're constantly involved so you're combining uh, three passions I love that and I was actually gonna try to go there in terms of asking you a question around how you try to weave all three together so I'm really curious now you know when you look at some of your images can you remember the music that you were listening to when you made the photograph yes it's a very special feeling and then when you land there's this calmness that wow today was a meaningful day i explored i recorded i documented some moments and now i'm going to the hotel and i'm going to download everything and, and there's this, this, this urgency to get to the hotel as, as quickly as possible to download and start looking through your pictures and see what you've actually got. And um, sometimes um, 
you didn't get it quite right, so you say, okay, I'll try it again tomorrow. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> so jealous. I'm very jealous of your ability to you be go, able to do that. You yeah, yeah, you go for another spin the next day, and uh, you try to get it better. You know, that, that's the other thing. It's a lot, a lot to do with perseverance, practice, and a lot of the photographers that I have now uh, guided and taught, oftentimes they'll just say, oh, it didn't happen. Oh, I must be bad. No, you're not bad. You just have to try until you get it. Try it five times, try it 10 times. It doesn't matter how many times you try. And so that's another uh, um, similarity with, with music. You know, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of my colleagues, they. We all started when we were about five or six or ten. That's you know usually around five or six or seven or eight. The latest, if you want to make it into career, some kids might start a little later, ten years old. But in the classical music world, it's 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 very brutal. Reality hits you, and um, many kids give up after five, ten, fifteen years of playing. Some of them go through college, through masters, through a doctorate. They invest 20 years and then they give up afterwards because of, you know, maybe uh, not being able to find their ideal job or ideal lifestyle or something like this. But no, you can't give up. If, if you truly love it, uh, you know, you just have to keep at it. You have to keep at it. And it gets, it gets a little exhausting uh, at, at, at some point, but you just can't stop and you can't give up. And so the same thing with photography. There's always that element of refining your skills, of doing it over and over. You go to the same place, maybe you move a little bit, you move, you move a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, take it from another angle, take it at sunrise, try at sunset. Again, maybe add some clouds, you know, it's... Um, and anyway, every day is a little different. With the planes, that's in particular of, of great importance. You can never get the same kinds of winds. Uh, sometimes you get turbulence, sometimes you have clouds that obscure the light, that's it. You don't have long uh, shadows. So, okay, well, you tried. Now let's time to go rest and try again tomorrow. If, if you can, if you can, well, then try next week or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was uh, fascinated when I was looking into you because um, I know that you're the concert, a concert uh, violinist. So I was like really surprised uh, that you've had time to excel at another craft such as photography, let alone being also being a pilot, because I know being a full-time musician can be incredibly demanding because you have to, you know, you're constantly practicing. So I'm curious, how have you been able to excel at all three of those things at the same time? Yeah, it was tough before COVID. It was very tough. And time was always very limited to do anything and everything. And then COVID hit us. And so what ended up happening was as musicians, we suffered greatly. Uh, we lost, I lost so many performances in recording sessions. In 2020, it was supposed to be one of my great years. It was a celebration for Beethoven, 100, uh, 150 years since his birth, uh, 250, 1770 until 2020. I was supposed to record three new CDs, all of his Beethoven violin sonatas. There are 10 of them on three CDs. I was supposed to fly around the world and, 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 and give a lot of concerts. I guess about 20 performances. And suddenly, in March of 2020, I remember sitting in front of the computer, I was thinking, oh my God, all of my work just disappeared. Yeah. Like that, for the rest of the year. So what do I do now with all of that time? So luckily, 
there was a play in the uh, camera. And I said, all right, well, if I can't play the violin, if I can't perform, then I'll just close the violin case for now until it gets better. And uh, let's get on the plane and let's uh, start photographing. So that's exactly what happened. I started actually, I dedicated a lot of time in 2020 and 2021 and 2022, as a matter of fact, to photography and, and exploration. And I did some of my uh, best work during the last three years because I suddenly had a lot more time that I could spend uh, taking photos and exploring. Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. I actually had a very similar um, realization for myself as well. I was, you know, you just, some of it's like you have a, you make the realization that, oh, I, I can go do this stuff now and it's okay. So I thought for me, COVID was actually a fairly positive event, but for some people it was terrible. I, I get that. Um, so you've been, you've been a pilot for a lot longer than you've been making photographs. I'm, how, I'm curious, how did you decide to get into making photos? I ended up spending a lot of time while flying with my student pilots and uh, photos didn't look so good taking them uh, using my cell phone. I kept upgrading and got better cameras and all that. And uh, then I realized, hey, you know, I have this rare opportunity. I have wings and I wanted to document the world from above. In fact, um, I consider myself quite a bit of an uh, environmental photographer. In other words, I want to, to photograph some of the disasters that we humans are causing. Uh, and so I started researching sites that were toxic, um, you know, places that show the destruction of human beings the drought, the fires. I live in California, so there's just all these wildfires here every year. It's become, it's become the norm, and that's the sad truth. And we've become so accustomed to it. It's, it's <laughs> almost unacceptable. Yeah. It's unacceptable. Oh, there's a fire. Oh, yeah, sure, whatever, right? People have gotten used to this. It shouldn't, that should not be the way we we accept the news these days. Mm -hmm. You know, there was this tragic event that happened in 2018, the town of Paradise. Right. Burned, burned down completely, almost. The whole town, so many people perished. It was a tragic event. You know, everybody lost their livelihoods, their houses, and uh, I wanted to go and document the, uh, the destruction I did. The previous year in Santa Rosa, California, 2017, another deadly destructive fire destroyed several neighborhoods in Santa Rosa. In 2019 and 2020, some disastrous fires destroyed massive amounts of forests and, and, and the giant sequoias, something like half of the giant sequoias burned down. These are trees that have been growing for the last two, 3,000 years. Right. It's really not boring. And I, so I've, I've documented a lot of these uh, destructive uh, fires, the outcomes of that, and it's really, the sad reality, we don't see much, well, this last winter we had a lot of rain, but prior to that, for the previous five to 10 years, there was this mega drought and uh, all, the, all the forests were very dry. Another thing is um, clear cutting. Uh, there's so much clear cutting happening in Oregon, in, uh, in Montana, in some other places, in California too, you see these patches of, of, of and it looks like chess. It looks like a chess from above. 
chess board. Uh-huh. Yeah. Massive patches. Now, people don't know what's happening because when you drive on the road, you can't see how right. these companies are just destroying the forests. Uh, and then a lot of that goes for uh, paper making. Uh, you know, we need paper, obviously, but it's not just paper that we're writing or anything. It's, it's all these cardboards and anything else that's being used. Um, so there's a lot of waste. There's a lot of waste. Um, and, then, and then there's the reservoirs that were empty for many years and water was so scarce. And then, uh, and, then, and then there's places like Las Vegas, for example, a massive city in the middle of the desert. How, how silly is it to, to build a city in the middle of the desert? One of the driest places. Right, or Phoenix. Or Phoenix. And then you see these houses from above. Every, every house has a pool. And then uh, that's not self-sustaining. That's not so self-sustaining. So it sounds yeah. like um, as you were flying, you started to notice some of these things and you were like, I, I have an opportunity here to document some of this destruction and the impacts of, of human behavior on the environment through the camera from above. What are, you, right. what are you hoping to do with those images or what have you done with these images? Well, some of them, some of them have won awards in uh, photo contests. Uh, some of them are being published by uh, various magazines uh, or online. A lot of uh, a lot of my photos get featured uh, on um, on Instagram. There's a National Geographic Your Shot community. That's a large community, and so I'm a contributor to National Geographic Your Shot, and so they feature a lot of my images there. Back in 2018, I won the grand prize National Geographic uh, photo contest. And that featured another scandal, VW scandal of emissions, emission scandal, when VW got caught lying about the emissions from the DZ cars. What ended up happening in the US was that hundreds of thousands of cars had to be parked out because owners didn't want it. And so VW was, they made VW take these cars back, right? So people returned their cars and they parked them in these deserts. And they just stayed there for many, many, many years. And so I captured that one image uh, in 2018 showing brand new VWs and Aldis just sitting in a desert in the middle of nowhere in the Mojave Desert, parked next to a plane. So some of these images are shocking, controversial, but they tell a story. They tell a story of, of our, well, our own making. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I really enjoy that type of photography and I think... Um, the aerial perspective lends itself well to showcasing those types of stories. I'm curious, you know, going deeper into the aerial side of things here, maybe tell us a little bit, a bit about the plane that you use and what are some of the inherent challenges that you face uh, operating a plane while making photographs at the same time? Yeah, so I fly, uh, I have my own uh, Piper Warrior. Uh, it's a, a single engine plane. It's a simple plane, it's four cylinders. It's a small plane, it's, it's um, I mean, the small engine uh, features only 150 horsepower, which is less than most cars out there. Nowadays, the cars have a lot more power than that. It's a 1976 model, so it's about 47 years old, and I uh, maintain it very well. I have to, I have to maintain it very well, uh, because I oftentimes go to these remote areas, and so, you know, you want to make sure that your plane is in tip-top shape. 
sometimes uh, when I travel internationally, I rent planes or helicopters. Sometimes I charter them. I've done so. I, I rented a few planes in, in Brazil in the past, in the Philippines, in South Africa, and I flew into Namibia. I've rented and chartered helicopters in Hong Kong, in, in England. Uh, I also rented another plane in Austria, in Germany, Spain, Portugal. So I've, I've rented and chartered planes elsewhere uh, when going internationally. But it's a little more different because then you rely on someone. You have to be in a particular place at a particular time to to rent the plane, to get it out of the hangar, to prepare it. You don't know the planes oftentimes. Are they in great condition? Are they not? So I prefer flying my own plane. Um, the challenges are uh, obvious when I fly by myself. Uh, you know, you have to control the plane and uh, you have to have a good coordination, obviously, and you can get uh, air sick or motion sickness because you turn your plane into a lot of uh, turns. You, you go into left and right turns. I have two windows on both sides. So if I see something that's attractive, I'll just turn to the left and, and uh, hold my camera with two hands. It's a heavy camera with a heavy lens. And uh, then I operate my plane with, with my pedals, with my rudders, with my feet. Uh, so a bit of multitasking there. Right. Um, now, it's easier when you're photographing nature and you're somewhere in a remote area that there's not much traffic. It gets much harder if you fly in bigger cities, mm -hmm. say LA, San Francisco, Seattle, or any, you know, any big city really. Uh, and it gets much harder if you photograph not only uh, in busier airspaces, but around airports. That gets very tricky because there's a lot of um, air traffic around you, helicopters, planes, departures and, and arrivals. You're, you're communicating with the air traffic control. And now you're also operating a plane and taking photos. Now that becomes several layers of, of challenges here. And um, one of my favorite things is actually flying over airports and taking photos of landing and, and departing aircraft. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of dynamic there. It's, it's a dynamic type of photography. You're, you're moving, they're moving, there's a lot of moving parts and you're also communicating. Right. So one really needs you know, four or five hands, but I've, I've, I've uh, done it now so many times that, that it's, it's become a second nature and it, it's fun, it's great. And that's another, uh, that's another one of my uh, winning photos, 2019, uh, not Geo, contest. I, uh, I won second place uh, photographing uh, San Francisco International Airport as one plane was coming in and the others were lining up to take off. I don't have to waste time changing lenses or, or dealing with any of that. And my camera is heavy. I need both hands for that. Um, sometimes the challenges are sometimes it's turbulent. You have a lot of turbulence. So your plane is constantly jumping up and down and so sometimes you can't even focus correctly you can't you can't hold the camera correctly sometimes the camera hits me in the face i've suffered, I've suffered several <laughs> times uh hits on my nose and my 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 forehead and that can be painful that can be very painful um you know make sure you're you, you're buckled up 
you know, the plane moves up and down, it jumps up and down. And so sometimes it's just not, good, not a good day to, to photograph. And you say, okay, well, I tried. And let's go and land and have a coffee or tea or whatever. But um, sometimes it's hazy and that's caused by pollution, especially if you're shooting from high up. Um, normally I try to shoot from about a thousand to two thousand feet above the subject, but that's not always possible. Uh, for example, that photo that I shot for National Geographic's contest in 2019, San Francisco International Airport put me at 5,500 feet above the airport. So, uh, you know, that's quite the distance. Uh, again, I mean, you have to calculate the light, you have to look at your surroundings. Some days are clearer than other days. That particular day, it was very windy. And because it was very windy, that means a lot of clear air. In other words, less pollution, less haze. So I got lucky with that day, but sometimes I get uh, a lot of haze. And, uh, and then afterwards, you may have to use a little bit of, a little bit of dehaze on, on Photoshop. Uh, but <laughs> I don't use much, maybe 20% or so, no more than that. That makes sense. And then when you're planning one of these trips uh, to do aerial photography, what are some of the ways you think about it in terms of creating a flight plan or putting yourself in the right? I look at the Google Maps a lot and uh, I study the uh, sites that I want to take photos of. And so I plan my trip in such a way that, you know, I cover them. I have them on, on my uh, iPad. I'll mark my trip. Sometimes you get there and it looks completely different from what Google Maps shows you. And you say, okay, well, at least I came here, I saw it, and all right, move on to the next place. And sometimes it's, um, what's really amazing is, uh, and many times that's happened to me, is as you go to place A or place B from one of these points, in the middle, of, out of nowhere, suddenly you realize, wow, there's something else here that I you can see on, on Google Maps, and here's something else. You stumble on other places that oftentimes uh, become even more interesting than the planned uh, uh, places. So you stumble on very interesting areas, places, deserts, rock formations, or some kind of disasters, human-made disasters, or uh, any of those sort. You know, I always look... Yeah. When you did the Volkswagen? Uh, photograph? Did, yeah, did I knew, you know that yeah, that was there? Yeah, I knew about that, that, like, one. that one. I knew um, that was in the Mojave Desert, uh, not far from Victorville. And uh, I went specifically for that. But that was on my way back from a long trip that, that took me all the way to Kansas City. Uh, so hmm. that was the last. Yeah, so it was about five or six days. I, I flew all over. I went to the Badlands in South Dakota and, and from there into Kansas City and then Missouri, some areas in Arizona. And then the last leg of my trip was uh, that particular site. And that was planned. But that wasn't easy too because it, they were parked right next to an airport. Uh, and so... Oh. And so I had to communicate with the airport traffic controllers and I told them I, I would be circling around there. So they put me at, at a higher altitude that I had previously planned. So they put me initially at 3,500 feet. Then later on, I was able to get a little closer down to, to the ground, 2,500 feet. But um, yeah, that was an easy shot. Uh, and also it was very warm. That was a very warm day. And... Uh, 
you know, you're sweating in the plane and and you're about the desert and it, it wasn't an easy sh it wasn't an easy flight. It was it was challenging and and there was this kind of uh, you know when it, when you get when it gets hot on the ground that warmth goes up it rises and so the plane becomes very bumpy. So it was a bumpy flight. Well. Let's let's talk a little bit more about photography competitions because um, I actually run a competition myself. So I'd be curious. You know, you've you've won quite a few competitions. What's what's been motivating for you in order to enter competitions? Right. Well, you know, a long time ago, back in 2014, when I uh, started exploring more, and uh, I remember I went to Yellowstone. I came back home with. I don't know, 500 pictures from that trip, both from above and from below. And I, I was so inspired. I couldn't sleep for a week. I remember looking at all these uh, pictures. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. So much beauty out there. This was one of my uh, initial uh, focused trips on aerial photography and also from, from below. And I thought, what do I do with these pictures now? And so I started researching and I didn't know anything about competitions. I didn't know anything. So I stumbled upon this uh, community called Your Shot on National Geographic. Back then, it was great. We, there was a, a, a website dedicated to that community. You would mm -hmm. upload your pictures, and they had these weekly challenges. And there were editors from National Geographic who would review all these images. And then they also had the yearly contest. So that was one of the great things. Uh, I consider this schooling it was schooling because you had access to these editors and um because i was uploading these images that's that were uh different in unusual uh the editors paid more attention uh to my images and they invited me to be a guest editor for one of their uh contests uh, called from above so i ended up judging one of these uh, weekly contests with an editor from National Geographic. And then many of my pictures were featured. I have over 400 pictures featured on that website back then. And many of them were photo of the day on your show, not just your show, but National Geographic website. So uh, there was a lot of exposure. And so when, when you get rewarded for your work, it makes you want to do more, right? I mean, it inspires. We're all kind of, it brings the, the the child in you, it, you know, a child does something well, you give him a candy or her candy, and then suddenly they want to do more, right? They want to, to outdo themselves. And so that brought the, um, the youthful nature in me, and I wanted to do more, better, and better. And then I started researching contests, and uh, I found uh, several good contests, and, uh, and then I created my list of top, top 10 contests, and then I just started following these contests, and. And uh, they rotate, right? One month is this one, the next one is the next one. Sometimes uh, the deadlines are about the same time, so you can submit the similar or same pictures to these contests. Um, and I can tell you, for example, another contest that is, uh, is of great importance is the Smithsonian. Uh, it's free to enter. Uh, in fact, I like these contests that are free to enter uh, because you have nothing to lose, right? Uh, some contests charge you a, a small fee, and that's fine too. Um, they have to pay someone, uh, you know, the uh, judges and the editors and whoever. But uh, the Smithsonian is free to enter. Uh, World Press is a great contest that inspired me. 
Uh, and I thought, okay, that contest sets the level of excellence, and, and so is the National Geographic. So these two contests in particular, you know, that was the excellence I was striving for, to tell a story through your image. And so uh, uh, I think it's very inspirational to have a contest, to look forward to submitting your images, to be inspired, to outdo yourself. And if you win nothing this year, that's fine. Just go back, try again next year, and again, and again. And um, lucky for me, I had this uh, newbie's luck. Uh, my first contest I ever submitted to was the uh, Sony World uh, Photo Contest in, in England. And that was my first contest I ever submitted, and I forgot about it. And then a few months later, they said, oh, you're a finalist, oh, you've won that second place, and so on. I thought, my God. How did that happen? So that's newbie's luck, right? And I realized afterwards it's one of the one of the most popular contests with with the highest amount of, of, of photos being submitted each year. It's in the hundreds of thousands of photos being submitted each year, which is insane when you think about it. And so I thought, okay, well, uh, that's nature trying to tell me something that I should probably, you know, maybe the universe is telling me, okay, here you go, here's a gift, newbie's luck. Now go back and master your craft, come back yeah. again for more. And so sometimes we get these lucky breaks and that's a sign. I see it as a sign from the universe. Um, it's happened to many people that I've spoken to. And um, back in 2015, I remember one day I opened my uh, uh, email and uh, National Geographic I wanted to uh, license one of my photos for their website, for National Geographic uh, travel website. The, they said, well, we'll pay you $50 for this image. And that was my first ever check for any image. I thought, okay, I have to frame that check. Uh, $50 from National Geographic, my first sold image ever. Not a bad way to start your uh, photo career. Uh, you know, and, and I thought, okay. Let's get back to work now and, and produce as many images of that and much higher quality. So when you're, when you're looking at photography competitions and deciding whether or not you want to enter, what are some of the things that you're looking for? Don't shy away from them. Submit and then just let uh, the universe take its course. The message obviously has to be a, a message of, you know, it has to be a meaningful message. Don't just send your everyday images. You know, if you send an image of a sunset, uh, sunrise, it may be beautiful sunrise or sunset, but that's not a, a story in itself. It's beautiful mm -hmm. and probably it felt magical at that moment for you. And you might want to keep that photo in your photo album and show it to your friends and relatives and whoever. But for contests, um, try to tell a compelling message. So I recommend that people be very critical of their own um, photos. Try to tell your a, a powerful message. Try to send that message um, through your image. And think about the layers. If you just take a photo of, of, of nature, that can be beautiful. But what if there is another photographer in that frame? What if there's some moving birds? What if you could do... Uh, slow exposure, what if you could be there um, different time of the day and capture the light better, right? So there's a lot of details that go into each photo. You make your photos. You don't just snap. You don't snap. 
you have to think about your photos before you take them. Sometimes, sometimes you can get lucky and, and all of these elements can fall into, into the frame. Uh, but sometimes you have to make your photo. Uh, let's say you go to a lake somewhere, you see a beautiful landscape, and now you see a boat that's coming from far away. Wait, be patient. Pray that boat will come right in front of you, will create some waves. Be ready with your shutter speed, be ready with your aperture. Maybe you want a filter of some sort to slow down the shutter, to capture some of the motion. Uh, so think about this and create your own photos as you can see them in your imagination. I love that. And, you know, nowadays, and you see this a lot in some of the larger competitions, but um, now there's AI and lots of people using, you know, Photoshop composites to, like, you don't have to wait for that boat. You can just put the boat right where you want it. And so... You know, I know you're judging a lot of photography competitions for National Geographic now, and I'd be curious if you can talk about what your experience has been like, and I'd be really curious to hear you talk a little bit about kind of the impact of um, photo manipulation and AI on not only the images that you're seeing, but also how you perceive them as a judge. Right. Well, we stay away from those images. We always ask for the raw files. A lot of the people, I would say the vast majority of people entering contests over manipulate their images too much, way too much. It's okay to add a little bit of color. It's okay, it's okay to bring down the shadows a little bit, contrast maybe a little bit. But if you have to, if you have to spend more than two or three minutes on your picture, for me, that's wasted time and wasted energy. <laughs> Shots <All right>. fired. <laughs> That's it. That's 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 it. If you don't have a, a image that, if you end up spending half an hour on your picture, now that's that's editing work. It's not photo work. It's editing work. Yeah. Um, some pictures, uh, some pictures are uh, so overly saturated. It's just not even beautiful anymore. Pictures are meant to document. Yeah. Pictures are, do are meant to document a moment, an event, some sort. A moment that will most likely never be repeated the same exact way ever again. It's a fraction of a second, and you freeze that that time for that fraction of a second. How time is this most precious commodity. You can never get back time. You can never get it back. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, it's in your memories. Many, many of us, we make errors or sometimes we make a poor decision about something and you say, oh, I should have done that. I should have done this. I should. Well, photography allows us to freeze these moments, particular importance or particular uh, uh, energy that you're capturing. Uh, so in a sense, you freeze time and that time you can always go back and, 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 and look at that picture and you say, oh yeah, I felt this way or that way. Or that, that picture made me feel this way and that picture made me feel that way. And this picture tells this story and that picture tells that story as seen by me on that particular day uh, from that particular distance or place. So it, it's, it's a fascinating medium if you think about it. You capture a, a particular event or moment and you freeze it and it's frozen in time yeah no i mean that's what i most appreciate about photography is that 
capturing of a moment or of an experience. And, you know, I've heard people uh, give me some interesting arguments about, you know, photo montage or photo digital manipulation where, you know, if the intention is to approximate an experience to overcome the limitations of the camera or or maybe it's like a vision of what they thought could have happened. I, I totally can appreciate that. But I'm guessing for the most part, a lot of these images, it's for the intention of winning the photo competition or to get as many likes as possible on Instagram, you know? Well, and you know, <laughs> there's place for manipulated images. That's fine, you know, digital art, that's fine. Some sure. people love it, some people like it. And I'm not against it. I'm just saying for me personally, uh, I'd rather spend a lot more time out there exploring than making images in front of the uh, monitor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. All right. Uh, well, my last question for you, who do you recommend for the podcast? Who are some photographers that uh, have inspired you recently? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's so much talent out there. One guy that, that really inspires me a lot. He, he specializes in underwater photography. Noir. He's great. Uh, Fl Floriuk? Yeah, yeah. Anwar Floriuk, he's great. He was the great prize winner of National Geographic contest the year before I was. Okay. Fantastic underwater uh, photographer. Another photographer, Bulgarian photographer, Ivo Dabchev, specializes in... Uh, he's Bulgarian photographer. He specializes in uh, folk, traditional Bulgarian villages, people, a lot of people. His images are very special, very unique. Uh, he's a National Geographic photographer for Bulgaria. Another photographer I really like is Mia Collis. And she's wonderful. She, she captures people, wildlife in Africa. And she, she, she lives and explores all over Africa. She, uh, she's fantastic. She got uh, the, the top prize in the people category. Same year I got the grand prize, 2018 National Geographic photo contest. Lek. Yurdakul is a Turkish photographer and she's wonderful. She takes photos of people and, and, and events. She photographed, uh, she got into the hospitals in Turkey during COVID, so she was very brave with that and, and had some stories, very powerful stories in the hospitals. Uh, Dimpi Balotia is a, is a great photographer in India and she takes a lot of photos with iPhone, just iPhone. So she really shows us that the best camera you have is the one at your hand. And so that happens to be sometimes just an iPhone. Now for yeah. my type of photography, for aerial photography, iPhones don't necessarily work because the frames are too wide. I need, right. I need something much more focused. So I need that 200 millimeter or even more in certain cases. Uh, but for street photos, for landscapes, for people, iPhone is, is, a, is a great tool nowadays. And of course, Amy Vitali, with whom I just judged National Geographic contests in uh, Bulgaria, Serbia, and uh, Croatia. She's, a, she's an amazing photographer, and she's been a National Geographic photographer for many years, and uh, she's inspired me a lot. Her work is phenomenal, and uh, I've gotten to get know her better now from the other side, both of us judging, and she's a, just a, a, a wonderful human being. So that's the other thing. It's, uh, many of these talented photographers are just such sweet people. Uh, yeah. Very down to earth, 
hardworking, meticulous uh, individuals, meticulous meaning meticulous to their work, not faking, not art making, uh, digital art making uh, photographers. You know, these are just, uh, you're more of a documentary photographers. So, mm -hmm. and I, I respect that, I respect that. I'm very much inspired by those kinds of uh, photographers. And there's plenty, plenty others that, I mean, the, the list is just so long of photographers that have inspired me over the years. It's, it's, it's difficult to, to remember all the names, but, uh, you know, I follow something like more than 3,000 people on Instagram. And I think, oh my God, I can't keep up with everyone. <laughs> I know, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And every once in a while, a, a, a picture pops up from someone that you like, and you're like, oh yeah, that person, oh, oh man, I gotta go check out their photo gallery. I haven't been to their gallery in a, in a while. So there's just a lot of talent out there. Yeah. Well, Yasin, this has been really fun, and I can't wait to see what you put out there next for your aerial uh, photography. So keep up the great work. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you to Jason for the great conversation on today's episode. I really enjoyed speaking with you. If you would like to hear Jason tell us all about several near-miss disasters as a pilot, please consider supporting the podcast on Patreon. For just $54 per year, you can gain access to our massive library of over 230 bonus episodes, which have been recorded over the course of the past six years. Just go to patreon.com forward slash fstop and listen, or visit the link in the show notes. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.